Welcome to Behind the DM Screen. It is July of 2019. We are three DMs talking about our games and helping each other out. So we have with us Sam Dillon. Say hi, Sam. Hi. And Mike Shea. Hello. And I'm Jeff Greiner. And uh, I get to start this time, and I just realized I don't have my timer ready to go. <laughs> so oh, no. I will get that ready. In the meantime, we've just been talking about Kickstarters. Mike just had a successful Kickstarter campaign. I did. Thank you uh, all. A few of you guys happened to back. Thank you for backing. And I am uh, listed as a stretch goal for the first time in a Kickstarter that has already well, that successfully funded and unlocked my stretch goal within the first day. So, wow! If cool. you hit this stretch goal, you get Jeff Griner. That's right. Yep. <laughs> you get a chapter written by he shows me. Shows up. He shows so, up with a bag over his shoulder. Right. So I'm in. I'm in the aisle. Uh, Torg. Uh, uh, Kickstarter that's going on right now. So, I wrote a, I wrote a chapter for him, and and it already unlocked. So, yay me! Awesome. Sweet. So now I've got my timer ready to go, and we can start. All right. So first up is me. Um, and so last time we chatted, I was trying to figure out what to do for like a finale. I had like two sessions left before, uh, you know, I, w- I was sort of done with my North Carolina group. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was trying to figure out what do I do? Like the campaign that we've been running for, for months is over. Um, I needed like a, a one shot or a two shot to sort of get through things. And I was talking about using Torg. It's really good for that kind of thing. But you guys had mentioned it would also be really good to have sort of a a uh, concluding sort of thing where you get to revisit the D and D characters they've been playing all this all this time, sort of one last time. Uh, and so I came up with the idea to do both. And so the scenario is a Torg scenario, and the idea was, hey, you've got to get into a party to get a like a big soirée uh, in Paris, and you need to extract this agent, this undercover agent who has uh, sort of a mind block, so she doesn't even know she's an undercover agent, so she's going to resist you. Uh, but to get into the party, you have to go to somebody who has an inv- invite because it's a it's a high security deal. We know somebody who can get you the invite. Go meet up with him. He's in Edinburgh Castle. So they go check him out. And they fight through some zombies that are wandering around outside the castle. And he's in there. Uh, and and he's playing D&D at that moment and just concluding the scenario. And the players lost. It was a TPK. And, and, and the magic of the cursed dice that he's using actually killed all of the players who I described. And it, and it was the description was all of the 12 people who have been in the gaming group since it started. Uh, and so then they all died and, and rose as zombies and they had to fight through them and whatever. And he said, Hey, I'd be happy to, to- I'd be totally be happy to, um, get you into this party. But first I need your help breaking the curse of these dice. Eventually somebody has to beat this scenario. And so the, the second act of the, uh, of the adventure was now you have to play a D and D game as your character, characters, but playing your old D and D characters, uh, through this scenario where, where you know where there was a bunch of homages to different things that we'd done over the years, and you have to win and not die in order to break the curse of the dice of Gygax, <laughs> right? So, so and that was fun. 
that was and that was the conclusion of the first of the two sessions and then just the other day we played the second of the two sessions where they they then went into the party and I made up a list of like 15 like crazy NPCs because it's Torg, right? And so you have all these different uh, genres sort of mashing up. And so I decided there were people there from all over the world. And so I had I had Dr. Montana Smith, who was my my Indiana Jones person, right? And I had the the high class uh, uh, um, thief who you know repelled down from the Raptors and stole the scepter from the snooty French. Uh, you know, uh, aristocrat sort. And I had the mime who had actual magical powers. So when he made an invisible wall, it was an actual invisible wall. And I had a, a person who'd been, you know, had been the subject of human experimentation and turned into a living dragon and, you know, all kind like, it was crazy, like the, the number of NPCs and they got to interact with a bunch of them and they had a good time sort of doing that. And then at the end, the, the, the agent they needed to extract showed up, they grabbed her, they convinced her to leave. Through the use of some interesting cards, so Torg uses this card mechanic where you can do crazy things every now and then, and one of them had a card that was the romance card, where you can um, play the card and it spurs some sort of romantic interest between your character and an NPC. They used it on the agent that they needed to extract. So it, so it wasn't so much, you know, grab her and run. It was, hey, want to go for a walk in the moonlight, you know? Uh, and so we, it played out that way a little bit until eventually um, it turned into the chase, right? And they grabbed her and jumped in the boat. And they were in the, – the party was in uh, Notre Dame Cathedral. Uh, and so the, the chase scene at the end to escape was down the River Seine while um, the, the host of the party was chasing in her yacht. Uh, and then they eventually, you know, basically get away, fight off the big bat at the end. And then um, the, the agent who they who they extracted had her memory restored and she gave them a, a fond farewell that was sort of a proxy for my fond farewell for the group. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So and so that went really well. I think they all had a good time. Um, we did like a little potluck thing and, and you know, we all took pictures and, and shook hands and um, said, you know, it's been fun. Good luck in the future, you know? <laughs> so um, that was a good sort of final final session for us, and it went really well. I was pleased. Uh, in the meantime, last time we chatted, did I have a group in my new uh, home? I don't think so. I don't think so either. So so that must have been a, a, a development since then. So um, I... I I, so I was posting about it everywhere. Right? I was talking about it on the podcast. I was, in fact, I ha- I got some emails from listeners who were like, "Hey, I'm in the area. I know some guys who game. Um, we could probably put something together." But I, by then, I'd actually I'd already started talking to a group. So um, I and I posted it on all the different forums and all the different websites and whatever, including Reddit. And this guy saw me on Reddit and reached out and said, "Hey, so you're a DM looking for a group? It turns out we're a group, and our DM just moved away." <laughs> <laughs> What a quinky dink, you know. So uh, they've they've been on a bit of a hiatus because their DM has already left, and they left in the middle of Storm King's Thunder. And I'm like, well, I am not going to step in and finish somebody else's campaign, um, especially <laughs> what given were they, the, what were they in the middle of Storm King's Thunder? Oh, okay. And I was like, especially given that like. I don't like Storm King's Thunder very much, so... <laughs> That'd be a really fun challenge, though. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know how to do that in a way that makes it meaningful to the players and the characters when I don't have the background and the history yeah. and all that. So, yeah, right, right. Um, be, I don't know. Okay. Become, so I, 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 pi- I pitched to them the idea of um, the mashup that I'd talked about 
doing with you guys before of of mashing up um, Dragon Heist, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, and Curse of Strahd. And then I'm like, well, and what's more, we have, if we want to get a little crazier, I can present you with three different options for a setting. We can play in the Forgotten Realms, as Dragon Heist is written. We can play in Eberron, because I could totally reskin it for Eberron easily enough. Uh, and we could uh, reskin it to run in Midgard, because I've got all this Kobold Press Midgard stuff, and I'd like to do something with it, you know? <laughs> um, and they were all on board for Eberron. They were, they were excited for Eberron. Most of them were on board for, for Eberron. Uh, one of the players was a little more hesitant. He's like, yeah, I'm a really big Realms fan, and, and uh, I've never played Eberron. I don't know much about it. I did a little bit of reading. It doesn't seem like my cup of tea, blah, blah, you know, whatever. Uh, so I'm like, hey, it, you know what? Honestly, I'm moving, and it, it probably makes my life easier in terms of prep to not have to reskin it, right? Yeah, uh, and you're, you're pretty, you're pretty Realmsy. Yeah, I'm pretty Realmsy too. So, um, so I can I can handle that. Let's let's just stick with that anyway. So we're gonna run in the Forgotten Realms. We're gonna be, be in Waterdeep, and I'm trying to figure out just how much like w- with the group I've been playing with for the last few years, I developed uh, a, a, a routine, I guess, at the beginning of a campaign to be like, hey, here's a bunch of questions I want you to answer, sort of about your character and how they fit in with the rest of the group, and this is gonna give me an idea of how they're gonna fit in, sort of with the story and the setting and. Uh, and, you know, at the same time, it helps you develop a, a sense of who your character is, right? Um, I don't know whether or not to jump in with that kind of stuff headfirst <laughs> with a new group who's not necessarily used to it or just start playing the game and see what happens this first time around. I, I sort of have the same thought with, like, I want to go out and explore and try new new things and go to new settings and, and play different games every now and then. Um, but, like, they don't know me you know, at least one of the players is a little bit hesitant. So fine. You know what? Let's stay within our comfort zone until we get a little more, uh, until, until we've built some trust. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that'll be fine. Um, and so I, what are you, what are you going to run? So I'm running dragon heist water deep in water deep. Okay. And the idea is that, uh, so dragon heist ends, um, after level five, right. Curse of Strahd. That's what I was going to say is why don't you run like a sort of, st- something you're really comfortable with but at the low levels and then then just in the game right well and then then sort of then then you sort of have gotten to know the players a little bit and and then you can explore like what you possibly you know like what else you could do and then maybe the one who's hesitant might be a little more willing to go somewhere else with you as their dm you know yeah maybe although i mean i've already pitched them the idea and they're all on board (laughs) so i'm not probably going to change gears now they're already started to make yeah. characters and what have you so the idea is that they run dragon heist through level five and then we go to curse of strahd with um, the same characters with the same characters yeah and so and and, a, and at one point like we talked about this i think it was us talked about it months ago and the idea came up of what if instead of them being taken up by the mist what if the entire troll skull uh manor was taken and now they've got some some stake in things right because they oh wanna, yeah so right? I, I have a yeah i have yeah. a recommendation yeah go for it um in curse of strahd there is uh death house yes which is a level one and two adventure right you can swap troll skull with death house mm-hmm. so the first time they go there you can then jump into death house which isn't any fun if they are level five sure um but it's great fun if they're like level two and three right um, well, and so what I might—I I, I actually ended up running 
a Death House style game for Troll Skull because I like Death House so much. Uh-huh. But it was with people who had already played Death House, so I had to change it up. Ah, uh, sure. Yeah, so so here here's here's where I'm at right now. I started doing some looking at sort of the timeline of Curse of Strahd and the timeline of Waterdeep as a city generally. And I realized, what if they once upon a time took up the same physical space? Because at the time that Barovia disappeared, Waterdeep wasn't a thing yet. Like it was just, there was just some farmers out there in the middle of nowhere. There was an elven empire. It left and, and literally like cast powerful magic to make everything disappear and everybody forget they were ever there. Uh, and then there was this time period where there wasn't a lot going on and before the city started to develop. And I'm, I've decided, well, what if that's when it was Barovia and then Strahd came in and did his whole thing and got the whole himself and the whole land cursed and it disappeared. And that places the village of if, if you put um, Castle Ravenloft at the top of uh, Mount Waterdeep, which is currently just a mountaintop, right? Then it puts the village of Barovia just outside of the modern day walls of Waterdeep. And so if they defeat Strahd, right, and the, and Barovia momentarily comes back to the prime material plane, like it would still work out OK. Um, and then I thought, well, what if I instead of just taking Trollskull um, Manor, what if I took the entirety of Trollskull Alley? And they've got all these NPCs that they've sort of established relationships with, and now they're stuck. And so now suddenly Curse of Strahd isn't just about getting themselves home. It's about saving all of these people as well that they've built relationships with. Uh, and so, and then, I, then I've got all these ideas for incorporating more Ravenloft into Dragon Heist, adding some NPCs in the alley, that, or an NPC or two in the alley that might be Ravenloft connected, that I've, I actually found some DMs Guild stuff of other people doing that. Um, you know, and and ways of sort of giving these hints that, you know, all the people that disappear and end up in Ravenloft have been coming from Waterdeep all this time, but it's such a huge city. Who notices if a few people disappear every now and then, right? Uh, so, I, and, and then I started thinking, you know, when you read up on, uh, what is it, the Amber Temple, there's this description that it was dedicated to some god of secrets. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to incorporate the history of Barovia into the history of the Forgotten Realms, who is this god? And I discovered uh, in my research the god Lyra, who is the a god of deception and mists, which mm-hmm. seemed a little too perfect, right? <laughs> you know? Uh, it's kind of kind of on the nose, but kind of cool. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. And, well, and her home plane is the is the plane of shadow, and Barovia is, or Ravenloft, the domains of dread, are sort of demi planes of the plane of shadow. Um, so it all sort of fit together really well. And then I thought, well, then then what if um, the dark powers? What if I have because just escaping Ravenloft does feel a little anticlimactic when you've started at level one and worked your all the way up, right? Um, yeah. Killing Strahd's a good goal, though. Yeah, sure. But the, it, the whole point of killing Strahd is just to come home, and he's going to come back anyway. So what did you really accomplish? <laughs> so, but I had this idea. What if, what if the whole thing was sort of orchestrated by the dark powers in the Amber Temple? And, and I don't know if you remember, Mike, because you've run it. I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. that there's one of the Amber sarcophagi that has been broken. I do, yeah. And, and it's empty, right? And it was broken from the inside out. And so I had 
the idea that what if the last time, you know, hundreds of years ago, Strahd was killed and Barovia sort of momentarily for a few days came back to the to the Forgotten Realms sitting on top of or next to Waterdeep. Uh, what if that's when that that particular dark power escaped? And instead of the castle lanterns in Dragon Heist worshipping Asmodeus, what if they're actual actually followers of this dark power? Mm-hmm. And then the whole climax, once you get back from Raveloft, becomes, oh, now you've just given all the dark powers and the Amber Temple the opportunity to escape. Now we have a bigger threat to deal with because you don't want them to escape out into the world. Um, so I have this whole vision in my head of how it all fits together. Who knows if it, that's how it'll actually play out, right? Right. But that's where I'm where I am right now, and I guess we'll find out in a year or two if that's actually how it, how it worked. Right? So, <laughs> oh, look at that timing! Yep. So there I am. Any questions for me? So um, one other thought is sort of the tying into um, uh, into the Shadowfell. Mm-hmm. That you know in in. Uh, I think it's, you know, it, they, they, they kind of dug into it in fourth edition, but I think it's still there in fifth that like, you know, if you think about um, Neverwinter has a shadow version of itself, right? Mm-hmm. If you, if you look at the Neverwinter book and so the idea that like the whole, um, yeah, water deep in the forgotten realms is, is in the prime plane. And then in the shadow fell is where, you know, this, this, or in the one pocket dimension of the shadow fell is where a different version of water deep. Yeah. It's, it sits, yeah, it's sitting in the same place where water deep is. And there's sort of these, you know, similarities between the two, except, you know, it's like, what would, what would water deep have been like if Strahd had been ruling it for the last couple thousand years? Right. You know, and it's like, it never really becomes a big city. (laughs) It's always Small villages, bunch of small stuff. provincial villages. Yeah, yeah, right. So that that could be sort of a fun a fun way to go. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, and that fits in really well with sort that of way my you vision. Have to dick with you're not dicking with Forgotten Realms lore, right? It's just it's almost like an alternate, you know, an alternate. Well, my ar- yeah. my argument has always been like if you're going to play in a an established setting like the realms, like knowing the setting well is fine and good, but it's yours. Yeah. So so right. break, break but, but it. Even if like yeah, sure, yeah, you can break it, but you can also. And there's some cases where even in your own version, you don't want to break it that much. Sure. You know what I mean? So like that whole like, well, we've got sort of a parallel universe thing going on yeah. means that that parallel universe can deal with its own thing. And then when it's done, it's done. And you go back and the Forgotten Realms is the way it's always been. Waterdeep's the way it's always been. Yeah. Um, one one thing, and, and I don't know if, if they've already been making their characters and stuff like that, but the kind of characters that have a lot of fun in Dragon Heist are not likely to be the same kind of characters that would have a lot of fun in Ravenloft. Explain so, um, so an example is like, you know, you, I, I, the, the, the characters that we had in my most recent Dragon Heist game were very investigative. They were very, they had a high degree of social skills. Uh, worrying about fighting undead was not an issue at all. So they didn't, I don't think we had any paladins or they had a cleric, um, you know, but it was like an arcane cleric. And so they, they designed characters because I asked them to. They designed characters that were built on that city-based investigation idea. Uh, and the mistake that I made previously was when I ran Dragon Heist the first time, I tied it together with Tomb of Annihilation. And the kinds of characters that they designed... So what ended up happening is like half the players made characters that were good for Dragon Heist that weren't necessarily that good in... Um, Tomb of Annihilation, and the other half made characters designed for Tomb of Annihilation that didn't have a good time at Dragon Heist. So, like, I know, you know, like, 
if you think about the kind of characters that are going to have a lot of fun in Barovia, it's characters that are kind of gothic in nature that they have sort of, uh, you know, you're, you're definitely going to have paladins and paladins and clerics. There's this definite light versus dark motif that goes on in, um, uh, curse of Strahd where mm. in, in dragon heist, it's mostly like, you know, you want, you know, the two characters from, um, true, tr- you know, true detective. Sure. Right. <laughs> so, uh, Anyway, I you know what I think sometimes what, one of the things that I've I've learned over the, the past few years of doing many campaigns like this is that getting players on board, having them design characters that are built around the theme of the adventure had a, a, a big benefit. I can talk about that in in my time. Well, and I, I here's the so thing: there's a way to do a reset with the characters because they shift over. Yeah. You know? So here's the thing, though: you talk about them. I've heard enough about your group to realize what is fun for your group. <laughs> uh, I, got, I got two groups. Right, right, right. So- but when you talk about like the kind of character who, who has fun in Barovia, um, in my mind, there is, there's an investigative nature to Curse of Strahd. Like, that's a big part of, of, the, of the campaign. I know with your group, it was, I want to walk in and, and blast a lich that's five levels higher than us in a round <laughs> and a half. And- and, and are not like, hey, the players you're thinking about, they're not even at my table anymore. <laughs> like, I've never named any of my players. So, yeah, they, that, that isn't the case. Like, they weren't just looking at, like, how to nuke Strahd. But it was like they wanted to play Van Richten. You know, yeah. they, they, had, they had character archetypes in, that they wanted to play. My wife and I watched um, Bram Stoker's Dracula right beforehand. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, from that, she had, like, character archetypes that she thought would be really fun to play. Yeah. But I, they don't fit, I don't know that there's... Uh, the the detective style game. I don't know that there's that much of a gap between Van Richten and your your sort of I mean maybe typical, not. typical private eye sort. Other than one's fighting, one's looking for monsters, and the other one's looking to you know pay I mean, rent. It's <laughs> like I mean in in my in my um, in my recent Dragon Heist game, like one of the players was an undercover member of the Grey Hands. Right. And no one else knew. So all the other players, all they heard about from the guards is that he was a guard who got kicked out for for embezzling money. He was like taking money on the on the side mm-hmm. and he was fired and, and nearly tried. And he actually did a, b- a bit of time. And now he's like a private investigator. But the reality was he was an undercover agent for Grey Hands that mm-hmm. where they, they set that whole situation up. So there was this rich plot line and it kind of came out over those five. If we took him and threw him in Barovia, all that. You know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> he has this whole big character background. Oh no, yeah, well, right. So, so there's certainly a degree to which, like, the factions mattering are going to change when they go to Barovia, right? Um, and and I have that in mind, and I'm thinking through how to deal with that. And that's another part of, um, you know, if I bring the entirety of Trollskull Alley into Barovia through the mists, then, then there are NPCs that can still connect to the factions. I could throw in some NPCs. If, if Barovia had been sitting on Waterdeep this whole time, maybe there are some NPCs that, have, that were part of factions that have been there for who knows how long, right? Uh, and so I've, I've started to think through some of how to make the factions continue to at least appear, you know, if not be the driving force like yeah, they were to be. That's, that's the main thing I'm saying is that keep, it, keep, the, keep that transition in mind. Yep. You know, no, I've been thinking almost, through it. Yeah, it's almost similar to the transition of going from the end, and I talked about in the show, of going from the exploratory phase of Tomb Annihilation to the dungeon delving phase. Yeah. Has a big different, a big shift in character types. 
Yeah. And, you know, it's that same thing. But if you know what's coming, it's easier to deal with. You can yeah. you can make that transition smoother. And try to lay the groundwork for it a little right. bit. Right. I, and, and you may be completely right. I'm going to I'm going to try it out and see what happens. Um, yeah. You know, I had good luck with yeah, my, not, la- my last like mashup. Right. And this stop. is a di- completely different yeah. format for a mashup. So we'll see how right. it goes. But right. yeah, I'm just saying that keep those. Those are keep that keep that keep that shift between the two in mind. I think by kind of shifting back and forth while the session is going on. So it's gothic up front mm-hmm. that can, you know, if you know you're headed towards Strahd and they right. know they're headed towards Strahd. Yeah. You, well, you and I more. don't know that they'll know they're headed towards Strahd, but I, but I, I mean, I pitched the concept of imagine like urban investigation slash gothic horror, you know? Right. Uh, so, so I just pitched the campaign as that without necessarily at first laying out that that's how it would go. But then I told them outright, you know, I'm looking at mashing up, Dragon Heist and right. Curse of Strahd, so so they've got some 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 yeah. clue that that's what the, what to expect. So so yeah, we'll see how it goes. I, I mean, I haven't even met the guys yet. You know, we may not be a good fit, regardless. But we're doing a lot of talking right now about setting it all up. So cool. all right, so that's my time. Uh, I want to remind people if they want to support the show, you can go to uh, thetomeshow.com and click on our links to Amazon and DMs Guild, and that throws a few coppers our way, and that either goes to uh, buying review materials or I send it out to the other contributors like Mike and Sam here on Behind the DM Screen in the case of the Amazon money. So go over to thetomeshow.com and click on those links to support the show. Look, mate, three generations ago, my ancestors forged the Great Blade Skull Splitter. With it... They won the Goblin Wars, the Hobgoblin Wars, the Orc Wars, the Demon Wars, the Elf Wars, and the Gelatinous Cube Wars. That one doesn't even make sense because they don't have skulls. Now, all these years later, the legend of the Great Skull Splitter grows. Offering dice to help you create your own legends, Skull Splitter Dice makes the highest quality dice beautiful dice of both plastic and metal. Want to roll bones that look like bones? or just something with enough heft to split the skulls of your enemies, Skull Splitter Dice has that and more. Check them out now at SkullSplitterDice.com slash Tomeshow and use the coupon code Tomeshow with all little letters and get 15% off. Now get out there, split some skulls, and build some legends. Mike! You've got 15 minutes on the clock. It's your turn. Go. Right. Um, so I finished my Dragon Heist game, and that went really well. Um, I don't know if I, I can't even. I'm not even prepared to give a summary of how of how it ended up. What season? Uh, what season were you doing? We were doing summer. Yeah. So um, the the interesting thing at the end was sort of a deal that happened between two devils who both work for Asmodeus and Mephistopheles, and how they ended up saving the children the souls of the children by giving up the souls of archmages instead or mm-hmm. wizards instead so two of those souls were the souls of the two castlanters they assassinated lady castlanter okay and then fought and killed lord castlanter i've got all kinds of questions for you but go ahead oh, yeah, so, <laughs> it, yeah it was it was it was you know as as campaigns go in the end it was crazy uh they got the gold the gold dragon was wicked fun um i i made one change to his personality which was he thought that the war between Tiamat and everybody else was still going on. So when the character's like, uh-huh. no, you've been here for five years, and that war's been over for five years. He's like, are you kidding me? I've been down here for five years, you know, <laughs> protecting this gold from Tiamat, you know? And so that was, it was an easier way to deal with that scene than, than kind of like convince a gold dragon to give up all the gold. Right. Um, did, did you let him keep the gold? 
Uh, no, they, where did they give it? Oh, so they ended up, as, as players do, they decided they wanted to give half of it to Jarlaxle and Brigandarth, uh, and half of it to, uh, the Grey Hands. Did they uh, to, have, to, did they have to, Brigandarth members? They did not, but they were, they, they, they basically gave half the gold up in order for Jarlaxle to show up with a soul so they could save the, the children's, the, the, the souls of the children. Ah. Uh, so they gave, you know, a quarter million to Jar- Jarlaxle. And then they signed a deal with Jarlaxle that said that they would continue to work with Brigandiarth. Actually, they were the Zardoz Zord Corporation. So they're like acting as a front um, for, for Brigandiarth. And they agreed to that. Um, but then also managed to plant a bug in the gold that they gave to Jarlaxle. Uh, that connected it to um, uh, Blackstaff, so she knows she knows where the gold is, uh-huh. and her whole thing is she could potentially go get it at any time if Jarlaxle doesn't figure it out. But so there was some nice open ended, like we don't know exactly what happened with that, um, but but it, it worked out. It worked out really well. So yeah, it was it was fun. Yeah, no, I think as I go through Dragon Heist, I'm going to be asking you lots of questions. Yeah, I'm, sure. So I'm running I, I the same to, season, yeah. and I got all kinds of questions. Cause like, I've, I've been writing a whole series of articles about it. Now that I've yeah. run through the whole thing twice, I've, run, I've got a whole series of articles about, about it. And in particular, I would say Chapter 2 and Chapter 4 need the most work yes. um, to run. They, they don't, in my opinion, they don't run particularly well as written, where Chapter 1 and 3 run pretty well. Right. Um, and then you can also add the heist in yourself. There isn't a direct heist, but I always have it. The I think the, this time I had it where the Castle Lanterns got the Stone of Galore and they had to break into the Castle Lanterns and go get it during the middle of a big party. Did you have them do the big chase to chase after the stone? No, I changed the chase into an investigation because I think it works a lot better for you to follow the trail about where the stone went than okay. to try to chase it down. Because the, the, the chase is too weird. Like The, the, the problem with the chase is like, it could be completely circumvented with one good hold person spell. Right. You know, in, in scene one. Or they the players are like following this thing eight steps and they're screwed. Or they rest and lose the stone completely. Right. So instead, I had it where the stone went the way the stone went and they were hours behind it. So they got to see where it went, but they never really had a great chance to get it. And by the time they caught up, it was already in the hands of the Castle Lanterns and then it's a heist at that point. Oh, and that gives so, them incentive to go into the Castle Lantern uh, estate and do all that yeah, kind of stuff. Because yeah. that was one of my questions is how do you – like that's one of my favorite things about that season is the whole party scene and doing yeah, all that. Right. But it, but you you could do the whole thing and never do that. Yeah, that's true with all of them. Whatever season right. you pick, they have these nice layers, but the layers are not really used unless you unless you bring them in. So my recommendation is bring them in. Make sure the Stone of Galore is at the lair. Right. You know, and, and, and let them let them have it that way. Um. Yeah, so that worked out really well. Um, and then lately, for both of my both of my groups were very kind to let me play test all of the adventures for um, oh. the Grendel Root. So uh, that is what I have been doing in my most recent games, and um, that has been uh, eye opening and fun. And I think, you know, one thing that I did so it was like a stealth stretch goal at the end, although it's something I'd already been working on, was a player guide. It's a one page player guide. And um, I, I, you know, the idea for this came from um, Matt Colville, who wrote about it, or he he did a video about it on his on his DM Tips video series. And his whole thought was like, you're not going to get players to read more than a page most of the time. Mm-hmm. So if you can make a really brief, like what this campaign is about and what matters and what's their place in it. And so I thought, like, man, that's a great idea. I should have that for the Grendel Root, right? Like, it'd be perfect. Here's this one-page guide. And so I wrote one up. And it was a first draft, but I 
sent it out to both groups and the characters that came back were awesome. Oh yeah. Right. Like when the players came with their characters, the hooks were already all there. It was super easy for me to like draw them into the adventure. It, you know, the motivation for them to do stuff was really, was, you know, really tied tightly. And it just made such a big difference that, that to me, uh, it is, you know, even if you're doing just your, your homebrew game, writing up a one page description that says like, what is the theme of this adventure? You know, write a little bit of like, you know, two or three sentences of lore to just kind of get people mm -hmm. interested in what this thing looks like. Um, and then, you know, what are the things that everybody knows? Like, and, and Grendel Root, I had four. Like, we hear the four things about this place that everybody knows. You know, I call them the, the truths. These mm -hmm. are the four truths. And they're not secrets that the characters wouldn't know. These are things... Everyone knows about, you know, well, a little bit of history. Watsy started doing that with their like setting books and stuff back in the what fourth edition yeah, age. Fourth edition they had that, but they didn't and then they don't really offer it as a player guide though, right? Like it's right. It, you know, I, I always want it like they have it in recent ones too. Like I, I, I need to do one for Saltmarsh. I'm gonna be running Ghost of Saltmarsh mm -hmm. when I'm done with the the Grendel Root playtest. Oh, so I've got ideas on how to make that some of the faction missions, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so um you know, I, I want to write a thing that says, you know, here are the here are the main things that everyone kind of knows about. And it's it's all sort of this, you know, Greyhawk lore, like the, the battle that's been going on mm -hmm. and the fact that the king is starting to expand south and that, you know, the locals are not really excited about this, you know, that and, you know, there's there's rumors of war between lizard folk, you know, all these like little hints that you can kind of start off with so that the players have this clear hook. And then another one is like, who who might you be as a as a character right and like you, you what what might you be you might be a local fisherman you might be, and i don't know what they are for salt marsh i have to think about them but kind of offering up like here are some backgrounds that are really going to work here um i think I, I think and they have it in the book but they're written in the dm's perspective so you know we have to go through the trouble of rewriting them into a player perspective um and but i think it's worth doing like, I think that that's going to be a big, a big advantage to that. Um, yeah, you've got, I've, I've already written up like a one page background for the, yeah. for Waterdeep for my, my group. And now you're getting me thinking, oh, I need to edit that and, and cut some yeah. stuff so I can add, feed in some more of the story elements to, to yeah, really... throw in some of those Ravenloft hooks, <laughs> right? Throw yeah. in some of the things that, that make them so that they, you know, uh, uh, so that they will they will build characters that will fit both themes, right? You know that there's a shadow, right? Anyway, a shadow. But, but this isn't my time. But you're but you're inspiring me. Go ahead. No, yeah, right. But I mean, I, I could sit and talk about Grendelroot all the time. Otherwise, so it's more interesting to talk about things that I think everybody can kind of use. And I think that um, there's something really advantageous at the beginning of a campaign to write up a thing. And I did. I think I've done it before. Like I would send an email out usually at the mm -hmm. beginning of a campaign, and it would usually focus on. Here's the theme of the campaign. Here are the kinds of characters that are going to have the most fun. I think for Dragon Heist, I said, here are the skills that you're going to want to have, right? Somebody, you know, somebody in your group is going to want to have these. These are the skills that are going to matter the most in this game, hmm. you know, and, and that way, you know, I could say like, you know, religion and arcana aren't as important as, uh, you know, perception and insight and uh, investigation, hmm. um, you know, so so I've done that before, but that idea of I think one of the other nice things is sort of that drop the little bit of fiction in there, two or three sentences just to kind of hopefully if it's written well, grab the attention of the player and go, oh, that sounds like a place I want to go to. Yeah, it occurs to me how right you are, though, about the the one page and the players aren't going to go beyond that. I uh, 
Yeah, that's not me, right? And I'm, right, right, right. That was Colville, right? Makes a lot of sense. That's but like everyone's. Busy. But I think back to like I used to do a uh, a newsletter. Like I created a, a a fake NPC that did a newsletter every week that sort of summarized the previous you know things going on in the world based on the previous session. Uh, and even then, it was like it was one page front and back. But I'd say 90% of what they actually read was on the front. Like, most people didn't even flip over the back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're all busy, right? Like, I was thinking about it today because I was like, you know, I send out these Kickstarter updates. They're like, oh, here's what's going on. And then I realized, like, every time I get a Kickstarter update from other people, I get archive. I'm like, is oh. there something I have to do in here? Do I have to, do I have yeah. to, you know, I, is, I, is, I, the, I skim the, the headings. Out. I skim the headings and says, is this relevant yeah. to me? Okay, I don't I, care. I remember there was one time I was at the mall. It was like a Sunday morning and I had by myself and I pull it up and I was I like went to Kickstarter. I'm like, you know, I haven't gotten like seven of the rewards for seven different Kickstarters. And I just went through old messages and like clicked on the back of it and got them all. <laughs> I, you know, these, I mean, it was like two hundred dollars worth of stuff <laughs> that I never got because not because they wasn't sent to me because I never bothered. <laughs> so you know that i mean and that's money right like i paid money for that stuff you're, you're the perfect backer i guess you, know? <laughs> you give them you, you give the money and never take the product like there's lots of times where people bought stuff that i you know backed my kickstarters and never and never downloaded it not even not even downloaded the wow. pdf much less bought the physical book i think the only um, the only time that i was at real risk of that was uh shadow lord uh, uh you know um Rob Schwab's because there were just so many things. Like every other day, I was getting a new email with three different links. Yeah, are. right. And I know I probably um, missed some of them, but you know. Yeah, so Cobalt Press is the same way for me. Where like I, we're totally not off, off the subject of people's games. We are. But like Cobalt Press, I back their Patreon, and they have new adventures all the time. Yeah. And like it's all I can. I just got. I got to go download it and stick it in a folder. <laughs> like yeah. I don't have time to read it, but I'm sure like, it's great. I've had. I, I haven't had any. Any. It hasn't been too difficult with Cobalt Press in terms of their Kickstarters. Uh, because usually it's, it's, you know, two, maybe three files and you download them and you're good to go. Right. Uh, but no, I have the same experience. In fact, I probably, I love Cobalt Press, but I probably need to drop my, uh, Patreon subscription to him because it's like, I haven't downloaded one in six months. Well, I'll just, I'm just still happy to support him. So I, I, I am they, too. So. I can have my money even if I don't get the adventures, but I also, <laughs> sometimes I'll go and get it. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the lesson from it though, is that players, uh, you know, we're all super busy. And what's important to us as DMs is not necessarily what's important to players. And like remembering that, I remember like what was the what was the site where you had like a whole wiki for your campaign? Like every we you know there's a big website that was focused on Obsidian building campaign Portal. Obsidian Portal, right? I haven't even heard about it in years. Is it still around? What happened yep. to it? Oh yeah, it's there. Okay, there's and, there's quite a bit of competition nowadays. Yeah, guess yeah, right. And I remember the the discussions about people who would go and build these like major Obsidian Portal campaign pages. And then, like, they'd offer experience points for their players to read it. And, they, you know, somebody's got to go in and update it. And no one ever did. And it was like, oh, I wrote, like, you know, 50,000 words right. in text. And no one's read it, right? And that's, you know, it's, yeah, they're not gonna. And let's be honest, like, unless your work's been well edited, no one is going to want to read it because they can read well edited stuff. Right. Like, we're not, you know, we don't, we're not as great as we think we are. Um, yeah, so, so, uh in in short, like you know, I think it's I think it's really valuable, particularly in the beginning of a campaign, to tell players what the campaign is about and try to put those hooks out there. Really write it from like, mm. who, you know, second person, who you are and what matters to you. So you're working on you're st you finished Dragon High, so you're starting up a Salt Marsh campaign next. 
Well, yeah. So, and then I'm, right, in between, I'm running about five or six playtests of Grendel Root stuff. Right. And and for that one, I did like they're they're playing the same characters through it. So I I gave wow. them that Grendel Root player guide, and they built the characters, and then they're playing like a a second, third, fourth, and fifth adventure. Awesome. Um, and then they're and then they're done. And those are all like one shot, you know, one shot adventures all taking place in this thing. Um, there's a loose thread connecting them together. Right. Uh, so there's there's fun stuff going on there. So yeah. I have a, I have a question and and, and then the, I'm doing salt marsh. and yeah and then we'll and we'll probably get to it as you as you start playing it. But for salt marsh, uh, that that's not a campaign book. <laughs> so uh, how are you how are you turning me, that into a campaign? Enough. Well, there is enough material in those first couple of chapters to make it a campaign. Book. Yeah, well, I like, mean, you've got enough of a setting that you can kind of right like, weave to me, your own the, thread. The beauty, and I, I, I heard Merle's talking a lot about this. That like the beauty of Greyhawk is that it's not Forgotten Realms. It's not, you know, every third rock has a name and a five thousand year history. You know, like this. You know, Grey Greyhawk has this really, you know, loose history and it's mm -hmm. in that book it's there's enough in there like especially when you consider like you know it sounds insulting but like when you consider the attention span of players it's got <laughs> enough right like how dare you i know i don't need to write a five thousand year you know quoting <laughs> quoting enrique right i don't need yeah. to have the special mountain with the priestesses up there um you know that there is enough of like if you know all i need is like five major points like what are the five things that make this campaign unique among campaigns mm -hmm. and and i probably you know or th even 3 to 5 but you know it doesn't have to be a lot and so, so your um, plan is though is is to make the the story of the campaign sort of your own but then weave the adventures that are there into it i think that there is enough of a campaign like again the first chapter of salt marsh has a description of like what are the important how would you hook these together? How would you tie them together more tightly? There's a, at the, this is a spoiler for it, but there's like a secret, I think it's called like the Scarlet Brotherhood, mm. something like that. There's like a secret faction that's sort of involved in a lot of different things. And their, their goal is to sort of destabilize the environment between the kings and the, and the you know, the, the, the king's troops and the, um, you know, the locals. And that's that's been a major faction in uh, Greyhawk. In Greyhawk, yeah. So so I, to me, yeah. it's in the book, right? It doesn't. And right. the, the nice thing about the book is it doesn't over it doesn't overplay it. Like I don't need twenty pages of it. Right. Just yeah. Tell well, me and so it's there's there's enough in there to uh, to to sort of reward people who do know Greyhawk and who love Greyhawk and a small enough amount that people who don't know Greyhawk don't feel overwhelmed and right. don't feel that's like the, it's useless. That's the way yeah. I am. Like I I, yeah. I I think I don't know anything about Greyhawk. But I, but I feel like the book gave me enough. I just got to go read it again because it's now been a while. But I, I've, I feel like there's enough there to, 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 to make the story interesting for me and to give enough to the players that they have some ties and connections between the two. But yeah, it's going to be a pretty linear structure of adventures, right? Like, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a big open-ended thing like Tomb of Annihilation or Curse of Strahd, where like there's some initial stuff and then you can kind of wander wherever you want to go. It's much more, um, you know, the, the the adventures are going to take well, place in a linear it, fashion. It certainly has its beats, but knowing you, you'll you'll weave it together and make it into a thing that'll be very nonlinear and and tied to uh, the characters and the players. So I'll be, yeah, I look, I mean, for, I look forward to hearing that. It's definitely tied to the characters and players. But my expectation is I'm going to be running a chapter, you know, chapter one to chapter seven or whatever it is. Like I don't I don't think I'm going to be jumping around a lot. I think I think it'll be I'll be playing it pretty straight yeah i i would so, guess you'd we'll at see. least have some connective tissue in town there will be connective tissue yeah. absolutely but the yeah. connective tissue is like it's not going to be i mean i don't know if you guys have read um ice spire dragon of ice spire keep yet not yet no 
Dragon of Icefire Mountain, whatever it is. Yeah. But that one is <laughs> super nonlinear. Oh. You know, and that one is like you, you go to town and there's quests on a board and you pick one and you go and do that quest. Oh. And there's always three, you know, so you always have these other options. And it's a very nonlinear adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I, you know, I think it's pretty cool for that, frankly, given given how they packed it into such a small space. Right. Um, but that's different than Saltmarsh, where it's like, you know, chapter one is you're dealing with the crazy windmill or whatever it is. What the lighthouse, you know, haunted lighthouse. Chapter two is lizard folk gone wild. <laughs> you know, chapter three is, you know, so crap i don't even think chapter three so who again crap i think no you've gone completely out of order but that's okay no those those are the first two at least that's that's at least the lighthouse is definitely the first one does this because because there's three that those three that tie together yeah right and the three are you know smugglers lizard folk and so who again Right. Um, but there's and then there's other ones in between. But I, I'm just you know, but they're all level appropriate. So I'm just going to run them in that order. Okay. You know, and the, the hooks that are available at the time are the ones that lead him to the next adventure. I look so. forward to hearing how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Me, too. Because <laughs> I, I was gonna, just going to rip certain sections off and make them uh, faction really? quests for drag. Really? Uh, That's so shocking. Huh? It's shocking that you wouldn't run them right out of the book as they are. <laughs> I, I don't think that they're generally intended to. They're they're a series of adventures that aren't necessarily. I'm going to take them, but I'm uh, going to put them in 14th century France <laughs> during the Revolution. How dare a DM take something and change it to suit his needs? <laughs> How dare he? <laughs> Play by the book. Damn it. Speaking of not playing by the book, uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to get to Sam as soon as I remind people that if another way if they, they want to support the show is to go to patreon.com slash the tome show. You can support us, uh, throw a, a dollar or two dollars or five dollars or whatever you want to do to support the show it goes directly to the show. Uh, and you'll get thank yous here every now and then, um, from, from me and other people. So, <laughs> and, and depending on how much there's other rewards, but, um, usually it's the thank yous and the mentions in the, in the show that people go for. So, uh, Sam, Speaking yes, of not going by the book and completely changing everything constantly, uh, yes. you're up. Okay. Uh, well, I've been running two campaigns, and my two campaigns are uh, one that is closely tied to what Mike talked about because it started as a playtest of his Grendel Yay! stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Thank so, you, yeah, so that's the the... And I've been playtesting with a, a, a group of two young players. Those are the players I'm introducing to D&D for the first time. So uh, that's a ton of fun. And I'm learning a lot about uh, how to adjust things within the confines of a playtest document mm. as as time goes on. And also, you know, uh, still doing my own DMing style and adding and taking away and changing things and doing all of that good stuff. Uh, and it's, it's a lot of fun. I, uh, I, I am super excited, um, for the next, the next little bit that I'm going to get to see and, and, and oh, read you, through. You can have all of it. Play through. <laughs> <laughs> if you play test uh, it, you get all of it. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I, I will, I don't want to give spoilers, but I will say that, uh, the structure of, of the product, the structure of the adventures and the structure of the sort of mini setting is such that you can basically do anything you want with it. And you can add and remove things very, very easily and make it so that it matches 
what your group wants, what you enjoy, and all of that stuff. And uh, one of the, the cool things about it, and this is a little bit of a minor spoiler, but uh, but not really. Um, you know, the DM gets to choose sort of what the main thing that is going on is. Um, and there are some suggestions and whatnot, but really based on everything that happens, you could, you could decide to change something pretty major in, in this entire sort of group of adventures and storyline based on what your players are doing and what their, their PCs are learning and discovering and all that stuff and still remain within the confines of of the actual setting and what's going on and it will still make a cohesive story and it'll still it's it's really pretty ingeniously put together so uh, talking about you're talking about the Grendelrude itself yeah yeah okay. and i and i and the thing is it's really funny because i was listening to you guys talk about salt marsh and what's interesting about it is i f- i kind of feel that way about salt marsh uh in a way because if you are familiar with the initial three, the, you know the U one, two, and three modules from old AD and D, the the you know um, Sinister Secret Assault Marsh and Danger at Dunwater and the Final Enemy. Those three modules were they, they're part of the the part of Ghosts of Salt Marsh, and they were kind of the basis for setting this whole thing up. But then they had to take some level appropriate things and put them in between so that you could have enough sort of meaty stuff to sink your teeth into and in a way a good dm or an interested dm or a dm who's sort of familiar with a lot of those but not maybe with some other parts of those might will find a lot in that book to really kind of move things around and it's kind of sort of open and sort of not open and a a dm can take as much as they want out of that and make it as open as they want or as not open as they want and actually the ruins of Grindelroot is kind of similar in that way. The the some of the adventures in it are connected to each other, mm. and some of them are not directly necessarily connected. But you can actually leave clues here and there about some other things going on and make them connected or not, depending on what your party is interested in and what your players like to do. And so it's kind of funny that that it sort of matches that particular style of product that. You can you can take some of it whole cloth and use it directly, and then not use any more of it, right? You can use it as the basis of the start of your campaign, and then completely make up everything else. Or you can use bits and pieces of the different adventures, or you can use several of them in a row and make a actual little mini campaign. So uh, it's a really it's really fun. I've been having a lot of fun playtesting it. That's awesome. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. So uh, so more on that once the product actually comes out, then I then I will you know, do things like reveal spoilers and talk about how my you can, players, yeah, you can spoil the hell out of it. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's okay. It's okay. Cause I want to talk about my other campaign too. Cause that's the one I have a question about. So my other campaign is actually the one that's on my live stream, which uh, is being hosted by the don't split the podcast network, which mm-hmm. is, uh, as you know, and owned by James and and Rudy Basso. And, uh, so they've, I've, I've got this sort of podcast and stream that comes out. And the idea of it is I play, for a couple hours with this group and then for the last hour or half hour depending on how much we need to get done uh we sort of talk about the game and it, it that part of it is starting to now get really rolling the first couple of episodes haven't done a lot of that okay. uh, because we've been i was wondering about that myself because i've been listening to the podcast version yeah 
Yeah, so we we've been uh, we've been trying. I've been trying to get the characters in to the game, and mm-hmm. then one of my players had a death in the family, so he actually mm. had to leave the game. So I had to introduce two new players. So, so there's been a little bit of finagling there and trying to just get them in. So, sort of the next uh, the next session, which is on Sunday, is when we're really gonna hit a couple of things and then we're going to start really talking about okay let's talk about game rules and let's talk about decisions that are made and let's talk about how this affects the game and stuff like that um but here's the thing so so these characters so my setting is uh basically 50 or 52 years ago something happened and either the water rose up and it sunk all of the major continents until there's only a few spotty islands here and there left or there was a great flood that came. So uh, e- either the continent sunk under the water, or there's a great flood that came and co- you know made the water grow up over the continents. Nobody really knows which one of those happened, or if it's something totally different. Um, and there are these four barriers in the world now. If you go far enough in in any of the cardinal directions, you're going to hit one of these barriers, and you can't go beyond it. So the world has vastly changed, and there's a lot of seafaring things going on, of course, because I wanted to run a seafaring campaign. So uh, the players spent the first couple of sessions trying to figure out what's going on and meet each other and meet, you know, there were some nasty crab creatures that they interacted with and had to kill, and there's some people on the docks they had to interact with, and they finally got a boat. And now they've cleaned up their boat, and they're sa- they're going to sail away now, and they're going to go investigate this other island. But here's the thing: so the next session, I have this this player who has a PC, and the thing about her backstory is, her mom, after the sinking happened, after this huge event, her her mom, her mom's family, uh, joined this guild, and. The mom is part of this guild called – it's basically the Cartographer's Guild. They're going out and they're trying to now map the islands because it's it, this thing only happened 50 years ago or so, and people don't really have complete maps. So there's a whole guild around you know, going out and drawing new maps and getting those so that people know where things are and where to go and are there any – of the larger towns still around and where are the major uh, population centers now and stuff like that. So um, – the other thing that happened is when the sinking occurred, it became as if any creature that has a fey origin no longer is connected to its to its origin point. So if you can imagine – so there's – the world has what's, what's called the, the common plateau, which is like the mortal plane, and then – the green plateau is basically like the Feywild, although a little bit different. And any creature that's origin is is actually on the in the in the green plateau in the Feywild, they are starting to lose the ability to, to feel psychically connected to that plane. In other words, all of the doors, all of the the portals and doors that go to the the other planes have shut. They're in my world. They're called gates and ladders, depending on which way they go. They've all shut. So anyone with an origin in a different on a different plateau no longer has a connection to that plateau. So any power source that comes inherently from that plateau is starting to wane. So the world is changing a great deal. So anyway, so here's what I need help with. This PC that I have, she's a human cleric, and she's a cleric of Goros. And Goros in my world is a female goddess of... Uh, of of basically the sea and weather and nature. So her domains are the Tempest domain and the nature domain. 
and this this human cleric character is a, a priest or an acolyte of that goddess. She is leaving the island because she had a vision that her character experienced where the goddess Goras came to her and told her where to go to seek her mother because her whole idea is she needs to leave the island to go find her mom because her mom went off on one of the expeditions and that expedition never came back. But she's convinced her mom is still alive. So I need help figuring out because she wants to play through the vision. Mm -hmm. So I need need to figure out what is really, really awesome to put into a vision that is going to have – some things that are a little bit concrete and some things that are almost like an oracle. You know, if you go to an oracle, they don't just tell you, yes, no, this right. thing is true or that thing. They tell you a more like a riddle where, you know, it's like a horoscope. It could be true, but it might not be true. Right. It depends on your interpretation. So, Or the thing that is you, concrete is concrete, but it's not right. concrete in the way you expected it sort of thing. Right, you know? yeah. right. So how do you go about creating a, you know, 30-minute or maybe hour-long scene where, because what I want to do is I want to ha- I want to play through it. I don't just want to narrate it for right. her. I want to sort of play through it, and I want to have the other PCs play NPCs in that scene, mm-hmm. right? So that's kind of the sort of thing I'm doing. And at some point, she needs to be visited by her goddess, and she needs to be told some information. But what kind of scenes would be really really cool? Because this is going to happen before this episode comes out. So. <laughs> Um, so what if you were if you had a character that got visited by their deity, like what would be really cool and very impactful for you to see in that vision, other than just like some basic information? So what, do, what do, kind of scenes would be really awesome? Do you know where the mother is? What your plan is for that? Um, I sort of have an idea. Uh, but I, I'm open. So if you have something that could, well, no, cause I don't know your world well enough. To, to... Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, I just mean in terms of, so, uh, one of the things that happens is, uh, well, so, uh, well, go hit me with some ideas. <laughs> I, I don't want to take up too much time just telling you details about the setting because then that won't help. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's two. So, so one thought is like that's a fantastic way, especially with a character that has that sort of connection. Um, it's a fantastic way to uh, make both history and 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 plot mm. events that are occurring in the game uh, something that's tied to the character, right? Like mm-hmm. they get to. It's you know, if you think about my my secrets and clues idea mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. like the best way to have secrets and clues like you get a vision yeah. and it's a secret that i want to give you right, right? like it's right. always on yeah always easy to drop that in and it gives you a good right. it gives you a good opportunity to sort of narrate a a, a vision of that you know mm-hmm. i dropped it and stuff like that all the time in tube of annihilation of them seeing a sararak um right. so it's a great way to show old history and still makes it character relevant because they're the ones seeing it it's mm-hmm. not you you know they're not this you're not sitting there describing a history no one cares about you're describing something mm-hmm. they're seeing Right. Um, where it can hurt is if you use it as a predictor for the way things are going to go with the characters. Mm. Right. So instead, it could be like they see the city explode, you know, like the one major place, you know, they see it get destroyed and they don't know why. And they yeah. have to figure out why it's going to get destroyed, you know. So so here's uh, as Mike is talking, as I'm thinking through the, the couple of episodes that I've listened to of the campaign so far, do you still have the the character... Who's trying to figure out the sinking? 
they're that's all their that's their main goal. All of them. Okay, I thought there was one that like spent all their time in the library. Was it the same one, the cleric? They spent all their the cleric, time in the library yeah. researching it and whatever. Yeah, the cleric and the uh, and the bard actually both are trying to figure <laughs> okay. out like what the heck happened. So, and then the the two new characters that I introduced, which haven't been re- that podcast hasn't been re- uh, released yet, so you haven't heard it, but they also are very closely tied to, to that the idea. sea, and okay. and how to figure out what the issue is. So, so I'm I'm wondering, like, so there the mom went off on an expedition, mm-hmm. um, drawing maps and trying to find where the population centers are and whatever. Um, I had an idea of what if she went to to see if a, a major population center was still there. Um, it turned out that it wasn't, uh, but she got, for whatever reason, or based off of, you know, whoever's machinations, she got trapped. Uh, she and maybe her, her other compatriots got trapped in the ruins of mm-hmm. that city. Uh, and so then the vision involves not just a clues as to where mom is, but it also involves sort of visions of the history of what happened to the city when the sinking took place. You know, um, how did the, the city get destroyed? What happened to the people? What, how are the ruins the way they are? How did that faction that is trapped or if there's such a thing uh, get there? And what have they been doing? And what has mom sort of discovered while she's there can all sort of be revealed through these visions. And then it serves both purposes of learning a little bit bit more about the sinking but also about where mom is and what and what's going on here right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay yeah no i like the i like the idea of seeing something like some city center or some something destroyed Mm because the other thing is they're also trying to figure out they got they got this clue about uh they got a piece found a piece of parchment with a, a name and they also have this clue about this symbol that was painted on the boat and that was on the tunics of these sailors. Uh, and those things are all right. related, of course, but they don't know that. And one of the reasons they don't know that is where they're at doesn't really have a good library. So they were going to look for a mm. larger library. So actually, this is perfect because you're talking about like some something being destroyed. I could see the town where the library is actually survived the sinking, but then was destroyed. Mm-hmm. And that's when that's where the mom is trapped, and that actually fits in really well because I know exactly why and, that. And maybe m- maybe mom's in the library, mm-hmm. so then they yeah. they rescue her, but also get all this lore at the same time. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. all right. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I that's like right. it. Perfect. That that sort of prophecy thing is something that you pays dividends throughout an entire campaign. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly why I'm like I've been like racking my brain and I've been writing down all these different things and. I, I also what's going to happen is I, I so I also sent my I sent all the other pl- the, the players a little uh, a questionnaire that says like what's the one thing that your player is like scared of you mm. know are they afraid of heights are they afraid of whatever and then sort of what element of, of the following list do they most associate with and where do they think the what do they think the most powerful thing is and stuff like that that mm-hmm. I can I can throw in like hints of here are these things and this is what your character doesn't like but look there's this premonition of this thing being powerful in this setting where you're trying to actually go so i'm i'm going to add those sorts of things in too that are sort of tangential but these other these other players will see it and go oh uh oh okay i see how that's happening mhm um yeah so oh perfect all right this is good 
Okay. This is good. I like it. Sounds like you've got some good ideas. Awesome. I, I look. I personally look forward to continuing to listen and find out how it plays out. This will be fun because you can talk about it here. We can talk through things, and then I can see what you actually <laughs> yeah. do with it. <laughs> so, oh, Sam, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. I've got. You know, I have uh, in my gaming group I've been playing with for years now. Uh, I've got at least one person in the group who listens to the podcast and listens okay. to this one specifically and and oftentimes mentions you know oh it's always fun to sort of hear a little bit about you know what you're thinking and what's going on and then see how see how it actually plays out at the table when we're playing so i can right. do that a little bit right. uh, vicariously with sam here yeah, uh, cool. b- but we are at the end of all of our time and i know both sam and mike have places they need to run off to so we will yes. not hang on to them we will let them head off uh, and call this the end of the episode. So that's been Behind the DM Screen. If you want to reach out to us, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. Every now and then we have some extra minutes and we answer questions or, or give advice to people who have those things. So uh, feel free to do that. Um, I am at S-Q-U-A-C-H on Twitter. Uh, Mike is at Sly Flourish. Sam is at DM Samuel. Uh, and the show is at The Tome Show. I don't normally do that on this show, but here we go. Uh, <laughs> so that's the end of the episode. You guys have anything else to say? Nope. All right, then say goodbye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.